I'm Adam Riley. It's Wednesday, July 9th, and you're listening to the Scrum Podcast. Here with me this week is Joanna Weiss, a columnist for the Boston Globe. Joanna, welcome. Thanks for having me. We also have David Bernstein, a contributing editor at Boston Magazine and our political analyst here at WGBH News. David, thanks for being here. Glad to be here. And last but certainly not least, Peter Kadz is the senior editor of WGBHnews.org. Hey, Peter. Hey, Adam. So we've got a jam-packed slate of things to talk about today. Uh, Marty Walsh going from deciding that the casino game is rigged and rotten to deciding he uh, wants to be dealt in, to belabor a casino metaphor early in our conversation. <laughs> also, Martha Coakley seizing the mantle of reproductive rights warrior as she runs for governor. But I want to begin with Bob DeLeo, the Speaker of the uh, Massachusetts House of Representatives, really uh, lashing out, I guess is too judgmental, but uh, hitting federal prosecutors for alleging that there was some sort of quid pro quo between him and the probation department. This is in the federal trial of former probation commissioner John D. O'Brien and two, did I get the middle initial right, John D. O'Brien? I believe that's John right. O'Brien and two uh, deputies. Really quickly, I just want to read a little bit of this statement that Bob DeLeo issued today. In light of the inaccurate and inflammatory comments about me made by prosecutors in the federal federal probation trial, I feel compelled to set the record straight. I never swapped jobs for votes, and there is no one who can truthfully say otherwise. I ask that the repetition of inaccurate and scurrilous statements cease immediately. What do you three make of this? <laughs> well, you, you know, I'm going to be a little perverse. Everyone is uh, focusing on DeLeo. I'm going to focus on Charlie Baker. But before I get there, let me say, Speaker DeLeo has a very highly developed sense of the dignity of the office. So for him to come back with a statement like that means the, the U.S. attorney really stung him. You know, I'm not sure the degree to which the general public, you know, gets this or really cares about it. But the Democratic establishment really does. You, you know, um, take take a look at uh, Boston Mayor Marty Walsh, who um, just the other day issued a statement praising DeLeo's gun control proposal. Mm -hmm. You know, boy, if that's not damage control, I don't know what is. Joanna Weiss, do you think he's in damage control mode? And then we'll come back to you, Peter Kansas, yeah. for the Charlie Baker tie-in. I do, and I, I think it's pretty funny that he's concerned about the dignity of the office, given what happened to the last few people who held that office as Speaker. They, they were all three indicted, right? Uh, one of them's in jail right now. It's a but proud tradition. It is a proud tradition that he's, <laughs> you know, saying he's not carrying on. I mean, you know, in terms of the public's view of this, the, this trial is pretty amazing. It's kind of like you, you lift the cap off the golden dome and you see all the ants scurrying around inside and they're all giving each other jobs, you know? And what... Whether the public sees this as, oh, well, business as usual, or whether they find that this is something to get up in arms about is the big question. You know, I, If you had to guess which it is at this point in time, which is it? I would have to guess the former, which is not good for Charlie Baker, because I think Charlie Baker wants to come swinging in as the guy who's going to reform it all. Yeah, I, I think that's right. I think that, that it, you know, what we have here is the context of a federal trial uh, alleging crimes against basically three people who the general public doesn't care about, doesn't know who they are, doesn't care who they are. Um, and the the inference that I think people are taking is, well, the rest of them, DeLeo and the rest, must not have broken any laws because if they had, the feds would have them up on the stand, you know, would, would be charging them, uh, you know, which I think is, you know, is a fair implication uh, or inference. So, uh, the extent – I think you're right. The extent to which they then say, well, but is the behavior bad enough that I should care enough? I mean this has been 
in the in the public eye now for several years. Yes, these allegations that we're, we're getting at worse and worse allegations, but it all kind of feels like part of the same thing. I think David and Bernstein. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say you've got to wonder. You know, again, if Charlie Baker's coming in with this reform message, is someone going to look back and say, "Well, what was happening when Bill Weld was governor? Right. How different right. is this from anything that's happened on Beacon Hill or in any municipality?" You know, since time immemorial. Peter Kansas. Well, this isn't about law. This is about politics. And I think it's going to be much more situational. You know, I think the right side of Charlie Baker's brain has got to be telling him that the way for a Republican to be elected governor is to, you know, carpet bomb the Democrats who control the state legislature. On the other hand, the left side of his brain has got to be thinking, you know, warning him that if he is indeed elected governor, he's going to have to work with DeLeo. So, you know, he, there's got to be an internal fight here. So he I, can't necessarily go all Mitt Romney, gang of three. Uh, we'll see. I mean, we'll see. Yeah, David I, Bernstein? Well, and I, and I think that, that Baker, you know, he's he's assuming, I think, that he's going up against uh, Martha Coakley. I think that's what he's game planning around anyway. Uh, he certainly wants to try to tie her into stuff like that, you know, whatever he can about Beacon Hill. But it's not real clear that, that that's, you know, I mean— like I said, this basic scandal has been in the papers for like four years now. Right, there's not a huge sense and, of outrage. Yeah, I mean, if Martha Coakley is still standing at like seventy percent favorability at this point, you know what? What about this is going to bring it down now? Clearly, we could spend more time on this, but we got to move on to Marty Walsh, uh, Boston's mayor, cutting a deal with Mohegan Sun. Uh, about $18 million annually, we're hearing, although it hasn't been actually released by the Walsh administration, $30 million in, I think, capital funds, uh, funds for capital projects over the next decade, local hiring preference. This is all for East Boston. Joanna Weiss, good deal for Mayor Marty Walsh? Well, clearly he figured this was the best deal that he was going to get, and he figured it was much riskier to move ahead with a lawsuit that was going to cost a lot of money and that may not prevail and that may not provide much of anything for East Boston. So I think he's thinking about cutting his losses here. I also think he probably has, like a lot of people who were legislators at the time, a little bit of buyer's remorse about the casino deal in general. I mean, it it was like going to a supermarket when you're hungry, you know, voting for (laughs) casinos when you're in the middle of a recession. And I think... I wonder if in his heart of hearts, despite his closeness to the building trades, if he's like a lot of people hoping that maybe the repeal passes and the whole thing just goes away. David Bernstein, you think he's hoping for repeal? Uh, You know, he might be. It's hard to read him on this because he was such an avid proponent, you know, from the beginning. You know, he co-authored the original uh, legislation with Kathy Reinstein of of Revere uh, to specifically bring this this uh, this thing to that place you know and and that's what he wanted until he was suddenly running for uh, for mayor and then things have been different since then uh, but things are different when you're mayor you know <laughs> and uh, so I, I agree with Joanna this looks like to me the best he could get he's you know he's not been uh, terribly successful I think at, at inserting himself into this process uh, he now wants also to have this news of the deal with Mohegan Sun to perhaps pressure the Win folks to you know to get a similar deal and in not place go to arbitration rather than go to arbitration. Um, but you know, uh, you know, at this point, I, th- I agree with Joanne. I think he's cutting his losses, and we'll see. Uh, you know, I, 
If, I, if I'm the rest of Boston, I'm not necessarily sure I'm thrilled with this deal. Well, and I agree with you there, David. But I have to say I'm surprised at how much I admire Walsh's political gamesmanship here. Um, he didn't get what he set out to get. But what he did do was remarkable. He changed the rules of the game. And very few politicians get to do that. He sort of rewrote the rules here. He yeah, Kansas, what do you mean by that? How did he well, alter the yeah, rules? Well, you know... The, the 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 residents of East Boston voted no. That was supposed to be it. You know, he found a way to burrow in here. And I think, however this turns out, it suggests an, a, a political ability that many people might not have known he had. I'll, I'll say myself. However, as a resident of the Jamaica Plain, I'm ticked off that East Boston's getting all this stuff. If, if the city of Boston's going to get $18 million a year... I want my schools rebuilt. I want my neighbors to get jobs. But, Peter, you and I were talking about this earlier. Uh, couldn't you argue that East Boston is the neighborhood that's going to bear the brunt of the casino far more than any other neighborhood in the city? You and JP are not even going to realize when the casino is being built. And in East Boston, there's going to be traffic jams, you know, whatever illicit activity we may see accompanying a casino when it opens, if, in fact, that happens. So why shouldn't they benefit more than you or someone in West Roxbury? Uh, valid point. Um, but let's not forget that the, the the good people of East Boston said they didn't want the casino. Um, and that has been consistently Marty Walsh's position. During the campaign, he was very strongly in favor of an East Boston-only vote. He did not want yeah. the whole city to have a vote. A lot of people read that as him gaming it for the casino. Right. Well, right. he's buying off East Boston with this solution. So and it's it's brilliant, I think. Joanna, do you think that when Marty Walsh uh, asked the, the Gaming Commission to wait on awarding the Boston Area Casino until after the repeal vote, or when he challenged the legitimacy of the commission itself and Steve Crosby's legitimacy as chair, do you think he was looking for the best possible deal he could get down the road? Or did he really want to derail the entire process and then unable to do that, he went this route instead? I think I'm going to side with Peter and say, yeah, I think he was tr- he's been trying to alter the rules of the game, which has been a malleable game all the way down the line. One thing doesn't work, he tries the next thing. The next thing doesn't work, he tries this. I think he came to the conclusion that he couldn't fight this. And so the next backstop is you get the best deal you can. All right, let's move on to our third topic. Uh, Did any of you make it, and I'm going to admit that I didn't, any of you make it to the Supreme Rally at City Hall yesterday? I can't remember the full name, but the the rally. I followed it diligently on Twitter. (laughs) I'm being told it's the Supreme Rally for Women at City Hall. Okay, you followed it on Twitter. So did Peter. What were your uh, reactions? And Facebook. Peter. And Facebook. (laughs) Did you vine? Did you I utilize did Vine? I, I'm not cool enough for Vine. Right, so I did see some Instagrams. Joanna, <laughs> what did you notice on Twitter? I noticed that, well, first of all, it looked like Ayanna Presley stole the show. She had the best line. She had a line about your my body is not your hobby, which seemed to get a lot of traffic and attention. I mean, kind of rhymes, doesn't quite. Kind of rhymes. There were a lot of politicians jumping onto this. This is, as you mentioned before, Martha Coakley's moment. She'd been endorsed already by Planned Parenthood and NARAL, so she was the one of all the gubernatorial candidates who got to take center stage. Stage. But Maura Healy was also there running for AG. She's going to ride this issue. Any female politician right now is going to, you know, including Karen Polito, who's trying to wave her own Republican pro-choice credentials. All the women politicians are going to try to ride this. Can this give Coakley the uh, sort of, quote unquote, progressive bona fides that she has not been able to secure so far in the race? Because we've had Steve Grossman say that, you know, he's a progressive job creator. The implication being that Martha Coakley isn't progressive. Don Berwick cast himself as the 
progressive alternative to both Coakley and Grossman. So can this get her that, you know, progressive stamp of approval that so many Democrats want? I think it's possible. I think the Supreme Court decision in the buffer zone case was the best thing that could possibly have happened to Martha Coakley in this campaign. Peter Kadzis? Well, I agree with that. Um, Of course, the supreme irony here is that it overturned her law. But I love the paradox that, you know, it's good for her. What struck me were the photos I saw on Facebook. Um, Now, these are selective. I wasn't there. But I was struck by how many business women were there, how many women in, you know, summer dresses, you, you know, in business suits. They look like they may have walked over from the State Street Financial District. Uh, again, from from social media, I got the impression that this was more than, you know, 20 and 30-something women activists, that I thought there were a lot of, you, you know, can you say honest to God women, women who were there because they were out. And that's going to do this. it for us today. <laughs> well, I was tongue in cheek. It, it, it's um, I was struck by how broad a constituency there seemed to be in City Hall Plaza. Yeah, I think uh, I'm going to disagree a little because I think the looks may have been deceiving uh, in this case because uh, I was talking to some people who were there uh, and getting some messages of people who were there as well as, as, well as you know, uh, the social media and so on. Um, it was not. I mean, this this is this is a big, big sort of issue. They they did they had a lot of different organizations working together, really trying hard to gin this up. It was timed right at five o'clock on a sunny day, you know, in a very convenient place. Um, and and the truth is that that from what I could tell, and all, and this is not to downplay, you know, very uh, passionate, you know, women and and others uh, on this, but you really did have a huge number of politicians who are who are running for office and in office, in addition to the ones that Joanna mentioned, um, basically everyone who's running for statewide office was found their way up there, whether it's Tom Conroy, uh, you know, Steve Tolman, uh, Charlie Baker's wife was there, Karen Polito, like you said, was there. Um, was and- Doug Bennett? There, <laughs> I, I, would, for I would imagine that he was, and they made sure that they had their people out there. You know, uh, it, it was very much sort of you know empty out. You know, Marty Walsh was involved. There were mayors from other cities uh, there. Uh, there. There was a lot of sort of emptying out of City Hall. Um, so, not to downplay it too much, there are a lot of very active, involved people, but I'm not sure that this showed that the issue resonates politically beyond those who are already sort of on one side on this. Although I will say I went to a Women for Charlie Baker event last week, early last week, and the this was, you know, Republican women, bona fide women of all ages, a lot of millennials in the in the room, and it was a very pro-choice room. And Charlie Baker seemed to steer off the subject, but Karen Polito, again, made a big point of saying, we're our own brand. Right. We're not like the the National Republicans. We're pro-choice. I voted for the buffer zone law. She's going to try to – they're both going to try to ride this too. Oh, do you, absolutely. Do you think they can do that if Baker steers away from it though? I mean that he's going to need to figure out a way to talk about this, right? Well, look, this, this, no, not to, I'm sorry to cut Joanne off, but I'll just do it anyway. Um, but but this, gets, <laughs> this circles very conveniently right back to where we started, which is uh, – that that Charlie Baker wants to make this about Beacon Hill and the problems with Beacon Hill and and the fact that you know that 
DCF doesn't work and the the uh, you know the the website for the healthcare doesn't work and doesn't want to make it about issues at all. So it's not that he's backing away from it because of his position on it. He doesn't want those. He do, he wants to just be able to say. I agree with Martha on whatever the issue is. Let's move on to talking about management. Joanna, I want to give you the last <laughs> word since David cut you off so rudely a moment ago. Do you agree with that take he just offered? Of course I do. <laughs> That's it? Come on. We did Let's go with a little acrimony. Anything to add? Anything to add? Uh, no, I, I think that Charlie Baker is also pro-choice. And so if it ever comes up, he has a consistent record of saying that. So he and he's, he's being, doing a big statewide push. His wife's out around the whole yeah. state. They are pushing for women voters as hard as anyone else. So given all Absolutely. that, Joanna Weiss, would you say that, that he is not going to be tarnished by the sort of the more uh, socially conservative parts of the Republican brand? This isn't going to drag him down in the fall? I wouldn't thing? say that. I, I think he still has a problem with, the, with just the national optics on well, this. For people who aren't paying a lot of attention to the race and are just looking at R's and D's. It depends on the ads. It depends on what the ads are at election time. It right. depends on whether whether the, the women for whom this is a driving issue are driven to show up to vote because of the issue. They will. Those women will vote for the Democrat if they show up. All right. Before we wrap it up, and that is going to have to do it, I want to know if we can get you to make the drive back uh, from the Globe some other time in the future. I know it's a tough drive. We appreciate you doing it today. Joanna Weiss, can you come back? As long as David's here to cut me off, I would be happy <laughs> to come back. He wouldn't have it any other way. I'll see time next time. Next All right. Time. We're going to go out on The Pill by Loretta Lynn. That's going to do it for the Scrum Podcast this week. Thank you for joining me, Joanna Weiss, David Bernstein, and Peter Kadzis. Joanna Weiss is a columnist at the Boston Globe. David Bernstein is a contributing editor at Boston Magazine and our political analyst at WGBH News. And Peter Kadzis is the senior editor of WGBHnews.org. You can check out more from the Scrum on our blog at blogs.wgbh.org slash scrum. And remember, you can now subscribe to the Scrum podcast in iTunes. I'm Adam Riley. Our engineer is John Parker, and our producer is Abby Ruzica. The Scrum is a production of WGBH News. Why hold a couple in my arms, another's on the way? This chicken's done for a nest, and I'm ready to make a deal. And you can't afford to turn it down, cause you know I've got the pill. Because you've kept it filled The feeling good comes easy now Since I've got the pill It's getting dark, it's roosting time Tonight's too good to be real Oh, but daddy, don't you worry none Cause mama's got the pill Oh, daddy, don't you worry none Cause mama's got the pill